0: The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm here with my friend, the hostess with the mostess, Melanie. (laughs) The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive into Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Oh man, it's fun doing our intro every time. (laughs) Too. yeah, yeah. it ends up fun we hope you guys are all well we're so glad that you're here with us thank you so much for all of your support yes hello dear listeners we hope everyone is healthy and happy out there rocking down red-handed is growing each week please keep sharing with friends and family and rate and review on apple podcasts it really does help us out yes thank you for listening wherever you choose to listen We've got listeners on so many different platforms and different continents. Yeah, so buzz, So fun. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's story. Yes. So Reno is a town that can be a sleepy little hamlet of Western traditions. Then it can change into a city of distractions with lots of bright lights, gambling and parties around every corner 24-7. Reno was also home to another bright light beautiful young brianna zunino denison brianna was born march 29th 1988 to her parents jeff and bridget Dennison. four years later brighton who is brianna's baby brother joined the family brianna lost her father at just six years old so she became her mother's companion he died in a tragic accident so she was fiercely protective of her family and helped around the house constantly kind of like a second little mother like one of yours i think My have a little mother like mm-hmm. yeah. she loved caring for her baby brother and she was so nurturing to children and animals especially her dog ozzy brianna had attended reno high school and graduated in 2006 she loved traveling and did a lot of it by the time she was just 19 years old she had visited hawaii new york mexico jamaica japan italy egypt hungary Austria, France, Rome, and Italy. It's a lot of traveling. I'm jealous. I am so jealous. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So in January of 2008, Rihanna was visiting home in Reno, Reno, Nevada. She was currently enrolled at Santa Barbara City College, which is about 500 miles away, and was working on her degree in child psychology. Um, Now, as a 19-year-old who just stood five feet tall, 98 pounds, she was a little girl, She was enjoying her time away from home, yet, of course, she still missed her family. And can I say, Santa Barbara is like the most beautiful city in the world. Gorgeous, Mm -hmm. for sure. So while home over winter break in January of 2008, she had spent time relaxing with her family and close friends. She was really soaking in the time with them before she was due back to be at school in California. On Saturday, January 19th of 2008, Brianna had spent an uneventful afternoon catching up on laundry, so she had made plans to go out with her best friend from high school, Katie Hunter, and another friend, Jessica Deal. They planned to attend a concert produced by Summer Winter Action Tours, and then an after party at the Sands Regency in downtown Reno. Brianna had made arrangements to just sleep at Katie's house thought it would be easier, so she wouldn't have to wake up her family when she got in so late from her night out. College students, you know, they're just coming in whenever they feel like it, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) About 9 p.m., Brianna went to her mom for their good nights before leaving with her friends. She gave her mom a hug and asked if she would like a check-in call when she was in for the evening, but her mom said not to worry about it. She knew where Brianna would be sleeping and trusted that she would be safe. I get that. I don't know if I'd want to be woken up. But I don't know if I'm going to sleep when my kids are out late. Oh, you will when they're older. Okay, I promise. Okay. <laughs> I thought that as well. Did you? Yeah. It changes. Okay. And now, I, I, now I'm i just going out. For sure. And I just say, wake me up. When you get home, just wake me up. So then I can like, know I'm done for the night. Yeah, that makes sense. So that evening, the girls had a blast. Brianna and Katie met up with an, with Jessica, their friend, at the concert. They pushed their way up to the front of the show. And together, the friends danced the night away. The concert ended a little bit after midnight, so they made their way to the after party at the Sands Regency. The girls took a shuttle bus over to the hotel and met up with a lot of other college aid partiers that night. Everyone was having a really great time, and Jessica and KT had reported that no one bothered or like harassed the woman in any way, yet that evening would end in a nightmare so we don't have any like early creepers in our story no not nothing standing out right away right apparently all the students just really had a great time together so nothing stood out good jessica wanted to leave the party earlier than katie and brianna so she left the after party and wanted to head right over to katie's apartment earlier in the evening so it was a freezing january night i mean think we're in reno it's got to be freezing And Jessica did not want to walk the short distance to her friend's apartment. So she flagged down a dark SUV that was headed out of the parking lot and asked for a ride. The guy that was driving was a total stranger, but he seemed harmless. That just makes my stomach drop. So Jessica hopped in and the man dropped her off at Katie's apartment. Believe it or not, like, that's a terrible decision and dangerous action. That's actually not the focus of our story. She was safe in that it situation. It sounds like she would be, like, in a lot of danger, but yeah. ended up being totally safe. Kids, don't do that, please. Yeah, and I would never do that. Ever. Didn't you hitchhike all the well, time? <laughs> i know, a liar. So, if my daughter's listening, never. Never. Yeah, you would think this is how this nightmare would start, but no, it's not. Katie and Brianna partied until the morning hours at the Sands Regency, and they decided to eat breakfast at the casino and then head home to Katie's apartment at 1395 Mackie Court near the University of Nevada, Reno. A friend dropped off the girls at Katie's apartment around 3.30 in the morning, and then they started to settle down for the night. Brianna wanted to stay up and text with her boyfriend and possibly talk to him that night. The couple had been in an argument, and she, like, wanted to touch base with him and didn't want to, like, have her friends have to stay up even later. Yeah, so Brianna chose to sleep on the couch in the living room. This decision, this, like, simple, unimportant decision would alter all of their lives. It's funny how we feel safe as soon as we cross the threshold of our home. It's like we could never imagine someone crossing that silly little line in the sand. We feel completely safe. Walls made of wood or a pane of glass is all we need to feel completely safe from the outside world. Yet that line can actually be crossed really easily if someone chooses to invade our home. We do feel invincible in our cozy home sometimes, though. Yeah, we do. So at about 4 a.m. that morning, Brianna made herself comfortable on the couch. At 4.23 a.m., Brianna texted her boyfriend, who was on winter break up in Oregon State. She fell asleep on the couch, just feet from the front door. The apartment at Mackie Court, which is KT's apartment, has a very unique layout. The living room had a large window and a French door. A French door is like a door that mainly consists of a large window in the body of the door, right? So this door and window in particular had a grill pattern. They're the white grid lines in the glass. Anyone outside of the apartment could easily see through into the living room, and that... Is like the scariest thing to me whenever I would babysit and people's windows were open. That would make me so nervous. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everyone knows what we're talking about. Like a French door is usually in a double door. Right. But sometimes they're single. Mm -hmm. Like I have a single French door in my house. And then the grid lines are just those little white. They make the house cuter from the outside. Yeah. So pretty much Brianna was sleeping in a fishbowl. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can see a picture of this apartment on our socials, so take a look. Becky, do you want to share those with us? No, you go ahead, Mal. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook or you can find us on Instagram at Rocky Mountain Red Handed. So good. College-age kids are not known to have strict schedules, right? It's not uncommon for people to be coming and going all hours of the night and day. So Katie and her roommates never really locked the front door to their apartment. Which, like, what if someone forgot their key or had friends come over at all hours of the night? Instead, the roommates locked their individual bedroom doors and left the front door open, which I remember doing this with two of my apartments. Yeah, my We two. never locked the, the main door. We just locked our bedroom doors. Yeah, we did the same thing. So with the front door unlocked, Brianna laid down on the sofa, cuddled up with her phone, and got ready to sleep in her comfy pink sweats, a white tank top, and bright orange socks. Morning came, which was Sunday, January 20th, 2008, near the University of Reno campus. Probably all too early for her friends, Katie and Jessica. They were out partying the night before. But they were up at 9 a.m. The friends made breakfast together and saw that Brianna was no longer on the sofa. Yeah, so they assumed that Brianna wanted to sleep in later that morning. Obviously, she'd stayed up extra late talking to her boyfriend. So they figured that Brie had fallen asleep in another bedroom, probably upstairs, There were two bedrooms that were empty that weekend due to roommates who went home for winter break. Um, Remember, Brie and her boyfriend had been fighting. Her friend thought maybe the couple talked for quite a while into the early morning hours. Yeah, those late night fights can get really long. By 9.45 a.m., Jessica and KT had let her sleep in enough, so they thought it's time for her to get up. They trudged up the stairs to wake Brianna up for the day. They knocked on the bedroom doors... While calling Brianna's name, they called out, Bri, time to get up. No answer. So they finally opened the doors to the bedrooms and there was nobody in either of the rooms. They went back downstairs, checked the bathrooms. Nope, they were empty as well. She was gone. Katie and Jessica checked the sofa closer. There they saw Brianna's personal items, her shoes, clothes, cell phone, and her purse. Everything was still there. Okay, so let's remember this is January in Reno. Freezing temps every single day, not to mention like beyond freezing at night in the dark. She's not going to go anywhere without her shoes, like let alone additional clothing. Remember, she went to sleep in a tank top. Right, yeah. So also the only time she'd be able to sneak away is between like 4 a.m. and 9 a.m. And that's after partying all night, right? Like she's got to be tired. Why would she sneak away in her tank top and socks? And like, what college-age girl is going to go anywhere without her cell phone? Like, none. So, by 10 a.m., Katie called Bridget, Brianna's mom. Brianna had no car, no shoes, and, like, they wanted to know, did Bridget have any idea where Brie had taken off to? Yeah, but the answer was that no, she had no idea where she was. She hadn't talked to Bri. Since they had said goodnight before the concert, Bridget headed right over to Mackie Court Apartments to help find her daughter, Just minutes after the two hung up, KT called Bridget back. She had looked closer at the pillow that Jessica had been using on the couch. KT told Bridget that she could see blood on the pillow. Oh, my goodness. KT placed a call into 911 right away. This was bad. Detective Dave Jenkins and Detective Adam Winoski, homicide detectives with the Reno Police Department, reported to the scene. With a combined experience of 53 years, These two veteran detectives were ready to find the answers to Brianna's disappearance. While the police closed the scene, the family and friends of Brianna gathered to help in any way they could. They distributed missing flyers and contacted local media agencies to get the word out. They really wanted locals' help to know if they had seen anything or if they knew where Brianna could be. Very smart. They're getting everyone's eyes on the case as quick as they can. Mm -hmm. The police thoroughly searched the Mackey Court apartment. The focus was where Brianna had once laid her head, that pillow that KT saw blood on earlier that morning. With a closer look, crime scene texts saw blood, mascara, and bite marks. Oh my gosh, that's like just about as grim as you can get on the evidence, right? Yeah. Well, after testing in the police lab, they received the results on the pillow. Yes, of course, it was Brianna's blood, and DNA was left on the pillow. Brianna, like, honestly left a carbon copy of her face in that pillow i think that is so haunting isn't it yeah yeah that's really sad the crime lab techs were able to pull a full dna profile off of touch dna on the knob of the french door the dna did not match anyone in codis or the friends and roommates of the Mackie core apartments so the police suspected that brianna was a victim of kidnapping the french door that Thin barrier to the outside world wasn't able to keep the evil out of the girl's apartment that night. Someone had simply walked through the French door and snatched Brianna away into the cold, dark night. So let's take a second for our sponsor break. Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack. The three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the whole stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take Sleep It Off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking whole supplement just a couple weeks ago, and I already feel like I'm giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in Whole Supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in Whole Supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CVO of Whole Supplement. I started Whole Supplement with the mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire whole depression relief stack at 15% off. Go to wholesupplement.com and use code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Again, go to wholesupplement.com and use coupon code Rocky Mountain. Simplify your fight with the whole stack from Whole Supplement. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Now back to our story. Bree's favorite color was blue. So Reno showed their love and support with blue ribbons everywhere. Ribbons hung in every tree, every fence post, every car antenna, every telephone pole. Pictures of Brianna were displayed everywhere all over town. She was the entire town's daughter and friend. It was so hard to believe that one of their very own had been kidnapped in the middle of the night from her pillow. They say that Reno is the biggest little city in the world. This city pulled together like family. A local casino volunteered space for a headquarters for family and friends and volunteers to meet. It wasn't uncommon to see a perfect stranger, someone like who didn't even know Brianna, to get off their graveyard shift of a gaming table and line up for a search assignment. Instead of going to bed after working all night, they just trudged through the snow to help look for Brianna. So amazing to have people out there searching and helping. It's amazing when communities pull together. I feel like we kind of experienced this in the Salt Lake Valley when Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped. Yeah, definitely. Like everyone felt a, an emotional investment in that case. And I remember even my ex-husband and I like had flyers of Elizabeth Smart. And that entire valley was just covered. Covered in them. Yeah. So the police began interviewing the unusual and usual suspects for this case. Remember the man who drove the dark SUV that drove Jessica home that night? Well, police shared with the media a description of this man, and he came forward right away, like voluntarily. He freely gave his DNA, and the man was cleared right away. The police investigated the possibility that Brianna's kidnapper, like, may be tied to other attacks in the area. The previous month, on December 16th of 2007... There was a 22-year-old foreign exchange student at the University of Nevada, Reno, and she was taken from a parking garage just blocks from KT's apartment. The student's attacker approached her from behind. He grabbed her and smothered her nose and mouth. She lost consciousness right away and awoke in the back of a vehicle. Her attacker demanded she not look at his face at all, Yet she was still able, I mean, she was clear in her head that she gathered a lot of details. The man was Caucasian. He had thick, meaty fingers. Meaty fingers is like quote. Yeah. Interesting. And it looked as if he had worked with his hands a lot in his life. He had no accent. He just spoke like everyone else in the Reno area. Which I can't imagine being in that traumatic situation and being able to remember all that information. I know, yeah. She could tell he was not highly educated, and get this, she saw a baby shoe on the floor of the back seat. So creepy, so creepy. Um, she guessed her attacker was somewhere between 28 and 49 years old and about five foot six to six feet tall. The vehicle was identified as an extended cab Toyota Tacoma pickup. Isn't that amazing? Like she had the wherewithal to like pick up as much details and remember details of the inside of the car. Mm-hmm. She saw the Toyota logo, and with all the information, they were able to identify the vehicle. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. So after the attack, the man took her back to the parking lot and dropped her off, which is great. I'm so glad he did that. Oh, yeah. But he did demand a momentum. Any guesses, Mel? No. Jewelry? That's usually, like, they usually take yeah. jewelry. Yeah, No. Underwear. Oh, that's so gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he took her underwear. Courageously, the victim reported the crime. The police were able to capture a DNA sample, thankfully, and drumroll, the DNA matched the DNA taken from the Mackie Court apartment. With this information, every set of eyes in Reno was looking for a white guy in an extended cab pickup. Um, So Brianna's face was like covering the Reno Tahoe area, like missing posters all over the news. And with that, it gave another victim the courage to be able to come forward, saying that she had also survived an attack. Unfortunately, the experience of reporting a sexual assault can be just as bad as the assault itself. A woman came forward and told law enforcement she was attacked on November 13th, 2007, in the same geographical area. She had been so traumatized after the attack that she felt that she could not go to the police. I mean, we know how intrusive, you know, a rape kit is. Mm -hmm. Of course, the authorities are trained and, you know, we have to have those done for evidence. But I can completely understand after an attack like that, she just felt like she couldn't do it. Yeah, They do the best they can, right? They have to get that evidence, but it is just still traumatic. Yes. Her attacker grabbed her from behind at another parking garage on the campus of the University of Nevada, Reno. He held a gun to her head and raped her. After the rape, he took her underwear as a memento. Creepy yeah. Now, because she chose to not come forward after the attack, there would be no DNA evidence of the crime in police evidence. But she did have a piece to the puzzle that law enforcement didn't have yet. She had seen his face. She saw his face and was able to give a great description. She worked closely with the police sketch artist, and together they created a likeness of him. She reported he had a square chin and a muscular build. He had an inny belly button and a shaved pubic hair. He had some facial hair and did not smell of alcohol or cigarettes or cologne. So in four months, within 400 yards, there had been three attacks like wow that is that's just such a lot in such a small area it is such a small area yeah reno really responded gun sales pepper spray and taser sales skyrocketed people adopted dogs to help keep them safe and comfort them at such a scary time in this tight knit community parents of students at university of nevada reno Elected to withdraw their children out of school, they felt it was just too dangerous. And I don't blame them. That's very scary. Well, and I mean, if you think, if you send your kid to Reno, you think they're going to be safe. I mean, that had to be so, such a jolt to that community. The Washoe County Crime Lab was working overtime. There was a severe backlog of rape kits just sitting and gathering dust over three thousand rape kits can you believe that melanie they did their best to try and get a handle on the backlog and catch up the detectives working brianna's case decided that face-to-face interviews of registered sex offenders would be a great place to start not all their dna profiles were in the system yet so those face-to-face interviews were important yeah investigators gathered more than 700 dna profiles to test the community was 100 percent behind law enforcement in fact, men volunteered and came down to give samples of their DNA. If they were white and drove an extended cab truck, they really wanted to help out, and they also wanted their names to be cleared. Yeah. Sadly, Brianna's case received a big answer to the big question on February 15, 2009. Just south of town, about nine miles from Mackey Court Apartments, Albert Jimenez was returning back to work after a lunch break at Subway. When he took a shortcut across a field in an industrial area, through the melting snow, he saw something bright orange. He stepped a little closer and realized it was an orange sock on a foot of what he thought was a mannequin. Yet yeah, we know it's never a mannequin, right? But that's where your brain goes, it's, the trauma. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's what we hear from people who discover is that it, like it doesn't register in your brain that it can be a human body. It's a mannequin. Yeah. He had discovered a Caucasian girl laying face down in the snow. Albert didn't have a cell phone on him, so he ran back to his workplace, EE Technologies, to call the police. The police, of course, rushed over and examined the remains. Laying just under the deceased girl, police discovered two pair of panties. A pink thong underwear and a black underwear with pink panther on the front. People began to gather The news of this discovery really swept through the town. They all were wondering, was it Brianna? Practically every Reno local felt a connection to her, and they just wanted to know if she had been found deceased. Detectives stopped by Bridget's home before she heard the news from another source. She asked if the body had a nose stone. Brianna had one. Or if the body had pierced ears. Brianna didn't have her ears pierced. Was there anything to identify her? Sadly, the body was too decomposed to identify by any physical markers. By the next day, Bridget received the news. Her daughter, Brianna Dennison, had been found. The manner of death was strangulation. It had been a sexually motivated crime. Brianna had been strangled with a pair of panties. Lieutenant Robert McDonald spoke to the media. He said, quote, This man is dangerous. There is nothing more dangerous I can think of as a predator who prowls at night and looks for crimes of opportunity. And he's preying on women who are substantially smaller and weaker than he is. I mean, that's right. Brianna was like 98 pounds. Yeah, five feet tall. Mm -hmm. Remember the two pairs of underwear found under Brianna's body that we talked about? Mm -hmm. DNA was able to identify the owners. The pink pair belonged to Brianna. The black pair belonged to K.T. Hunter. The killer must have stolen K.T.'s while he was in the apartment. K.T.'s was the, were the ones that were used for the strangulation. Law enforcement pressed forward, determined to find Brianna's killer. A team of 40 detectives chased 4,000 leads. It was frustrating for the police and the public. To, of course, maintain the integrity of the investigation, law enforcement couldn't share any updates with the public. So emotions ran high in Reno. The investigators continued day in and day out. They were working nonstop to bring Brianna's killer to justice. Detective Dave Jenkins and Detective Adam Winaski had not taken a single day off since Brianna had been kidnapped. In fact, the longest time either detective spent at home was six hours at a time. They really were just living at work and just doing everything that they could to try and find her. I can't imagine the emotional and physical mental toll that was on them and also their families. I mean, that's a big sacrifice for their community and for Brianna. Mm. They continued to wade through all of the tips that poured in into the law enforcement. The Reno Police Department had been working closely with University of Nevada Reno Campus Police Department and the FBI. The day came that they had been waiting for since Brianna had disappeared in January. Law enforcement finally found the one that would crack the case open. In November, 10 months after her kidnapping, a tip was received from a local woman. So a good friend of a woman named Carlene Janae Harmon of Sparks, Nevada, had called in a tip on Carlene's longtime boyfriend. She had found another woman's thong underwear in Carlene's boyfriend's truck. So this really could be nothing, right? Just a guy who's cheating. Yet the detectives took the time to dig in a little deeper to see if there was something there. Yeah, honestly, to me, it doesn't seem like a golden tip, right? But even with the amount of tips they were pouring in, the police department was still so thorough. Thank heavens. They pulled up some information and found his driver's license photo. And the face looking back at them looked an awful lot like the police sketch from the first victim's attack in October. His name? James Bila. Yeah, and kudos to um, the first victim. Yes, that was able to get such a good sketch. I've always thought that if I was asked to give a description, I'd be so terrible at it. My husband asked me a question the other day, like, "What did what did this look like?" or something, and I was like, "I don't remember. I saw five minutes ago. I have no idea. I would be terrible. I would be terrible." But like, even in this terrible situation, even yeah. when she's being attacked, she was able to remember those features. It's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Detective Adam Monaski drove over to Bela's house for a meet and greet. He knocked and rang the doorbell, but no one answered. So he did what is customary when the cops stopped by a house, right? He left his card identifying him and his position as a robbery homicide detective. I mean, what would you do if you had a homicide detective's business card stuffed into your door? I would be calling him back in a panic. Right. That's because we're innocent, right? (laughs) That's true. Yeah. It would terrify me, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Less than an hour later, Bila called Detective Wineski. Bila agreed to meet after work the following day and was quite friendly over the phone. He didn't seem alarmed or, like, too concerned, which is kind of weird, right? I would be both really weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's the really weird thing. He never once asked why Detective Wineski needed to meet with him. That would be the first question out of my mouth. What is this about? That makes you look so guilty. If the cops are calling you, you want to know why, right? For sure. Like any normal person would be alarmed by this, right? I've never had a detective knock on my door. Uh, Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, no, never. (laughs) Um, I would guess I would be like worked up and super nervous if this happened. I would start to think like, who do I know that's in trouble? What happened? That's not how he responded at all. He just, like, agrees to come into the station, no questions asked. Yeah, that's crazy. The next day, Detective Winoski drove to meet with Bila at a local Wendy's restaurant. Must add a Craven for a Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are really good. Though. They are. I don't like bacon. You don't? Ooh, everyone on the podcast is going to dislike me. No, I don't like bacon. That is the strangest thing ever. I'm aware of that. How can you not like bacon? It's Gross. I can't stand the smell of it. Really? No. Oh, that's like one of the best things about I it. Is all. I'm smell. not American, okay? Haters, come at me. My son's birthday is on Saturday, and I asked him what he wanted for his meal, and he said, bacon. Just bacon. Well, they will not be coming to your house on Saturday. <laughs> okay, so back to the story. So they meet at Wendy's Restaurant. So back at the Wendy's restaurant, once Bila arrived, he got into Detective Winovsky's car. And the first thing Detective Wanoski noticed was his hands. Mm-hmm. Any guesses? He had a large, meaty hands. The hands of a construction worker. Each finger was thick and well-worn. Which is just like the victim had said, right? mm mm-hmm. I mean, they had to hit a really interesting hands to call them meaty. Yeah. But I can kind of picture what she's... Which she's thinking, right? Yeah, I can picture it, too. The two men, Detective Wanaski and James Bila, chatted for a bit. Bila was from Chicago, so they spoke about, like, the White Sox and the Cubs just kind of chit-chatting back and forth. Again, Bila never asked what the meeting was in regards to. Everything was nice and easy until Detective Wanaski brought up Brianna Dennison. The detective instantly saw beads of sweat pop out on Bila's forehead. Despite the cool weather in Reno, of course, but all of a sudden you could just tell the man just tightened up. Detective Winoski asked him for a simple DNA sample, he said, just to eliminate him from the investigation. But Bila refused. He said that his girlfriend, Carleen Harmon, could provide an alibi for him. Surprise, surprise, Bila, she's not going to lie for you. And with that, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it 3 and 3. I take my 3 capsules of veggies, 3 capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code red handed. Thank you to our amazing sponsors. Now let's get back to our story. Mel, I'm sorry I'm going to interrupt here. I think our listeners need to know, Mel and I were just chatting. She doesn't like meat that's crunchy. Yeah, I, I can't do beef jerky. I can't do bacon. It's just so gross to me. Whenever we go on road trips, my husband loves beef jerky and he'll get it in the car and I can't stand the smell of it. It gives me headache every time. So gross. I can't do it, you guys. I don't know. It means better than like a crunchy piece of bacon. No. You're making me sick. Okay, I still like you. Okay, sorry guys. But I know. It's a it's a whole thing. I think everyone needed to know that. Yeah. Now you all know. I don't like bacon. So Detective Wineski decided his next visit would be to Beela's partner, Carlene. Well, Bila must have expected Carlene to lie for him, but she did not, luckily. Way to go, Carlene! Yes. Not even for a second. James Bila's affidavit reads, Carlene could not account for his whereabouts on the early morning hours of either December 16th, 2007, or January 20th, 2008. She also said she and Bila had a tumultuous, romantic relationship, and it was common for him to leave for days. I think he's busted. I think so, too. Yeah, she... Must have been like really suspicious of his actions, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Right. So Bila and his partner shared a four-year-old son. Detective Wanaski asked Carlene if she would be willing to give him a sample of her son's DNA. With Bila being the baby's father, he would, of course, share his father's DNA. And she agreed. Way to go, Carlene. Yes. While waiting for the DNA analysis, law enforcement was able to dig up some pretty interesting information on James Bila. He had recently owned a Toyota Tacoma extended cab pickup. He had sold it earlier that year. Bila lived within a few blocks of all three of the attacks that happened in the four-month period in late 2007 to early 2008. He also worked as a pipe fitter and, like, definitely had those well calloused hands of a construction worker. We talked about. Okay, so pretty much it's like red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. Like selling a car, super huge red flag, mm-hmm. refusing to give your DNA. Yeah. Huge. I mean, this guy's throwing up red flags everywhere. Yeah. And perhaps the most strangest, quote unquote, coincidence was Bela's girlfriend, Carlene, worked in the industrial building located directly next to the field where Brianna's body was dumped. She reported to police that she watched the police work the scene from her office window the day that Brianna was discovered. In fact, she called her boyfriend Bila and told him all about Brianna's remains being discovered outside her office and she was like expressing her sadness to him and how she like were watching the cops working and how her heart was breaking. So sad and just so crazy like I, I've heard of killers that usually stay, like, within the geographical area that they're familiar with, right? Like, they don't start exploring new territory to go dump a victim. Yeah, which makes sense that they're going to go where it's familiar to them. Yeah, for sure. The day after Brianna's remains were discovered, Bila told his boss that he needed to quit his job. Yet later that day, he told Carlene that he had been let go. I mean, why would someone just do that right i know like you would think it's the opposite that you would like lie to your partner saying that they like that they didn't get fired they like quit you know what i mean it makes you yeah 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 doesn't look good and again another red flag law enforcement tried over and over to eliminate james beale yet law enforcement tried over and over to eliminate james Beale, yet they couldn't everything that they had was pointing to him i've heard that that good detectives try to eliminate everyone like that's even if they have a really really good suspect Mm -hmm. they do all they can to eliminate him and then when you can't you know you got your guy right so finally the dna results came back from james bela's young son with a 99 percent certainty that he was the son of their unidentified suspect so brianna and the other identified woman had been victims of james bela and then we have the one other woman who we don't have the dna from so we're unsure if if she was a victim of his. Right, right. But we're pretty sure, yeah, we can assume, I guess, at this point. Make a pretty good assumption. Jessica? Why did I say Jessica? (laughs) Because there's a Jessica earlier in the story. Oh, there was, yeah. James Michael Bela was born in Chicago on June 29th, 1981. The family relocated to Reno when Jimmy, as his family called him, was just nine years old. His parents divorced and his mother relocated to Spokane, Washington. Vila graduated from West Valley High School in 1999 and joined the Marine Corps. He was dishonorably discharged in 2001 for drug use, so he returned to the Reno area. Friends in Reno described him as funny, nice, he was a friendly guy, a guy would like you would have fun with at like a party or a bar. Vila was very involved in the martial arts community, and he trained side-by-side side with a lot of law enforcement while back in reno Bila made quite a name for himself he was arrested in 2002 for threatening his former girlfriend's neighbor with a knife the girlfriend then filed a protection order against Bila, and he was ordered to have no contact with her for one year in 2003 Bila was sentenced to dui school due to all the charges being misdemeanors of course no dna was taken while he was arrested in 2004, Bila's life turned somewhat around. While living in Sparks, Nevada, with his girlfriend Carlene, he became a father. The little family began to raise their son together, and Carlene must have probably really had high hopes for the future. Records show that the couple did file for a marriage license, but it was never completed. So, getting back to Brianna's case, the DNA results had come in of Bila's young son, and it matched the suspect. So, law enforcement were ready for the arrest. The following day, Bila drove to pick his son up from daycare at Stepping Stones Children's Center, and the police were there waiting for him. Before he made it to the front door, Detective Wanaski arrested him for the murder of Brianna Denison. Bila refused to speak. He was charged with kidnapping, three counts of sexual assault, and murder. Bila's father, Joe Bila, said he had not seen his son for years but said he was upset after hearing the news of the arrest he said he knew police had that dna evidence and quote he's still my son he's my blood i will always love him and back him up but i can't help him he did it to himself i had no signs that he could do something like that no signs at all end quote Detective Wanaski immediately called Bridget after getting Bila booked in Washoe County Jail. Bridget was filled with relief. He couldn't hurt anyone else. She had been so scared that another woman in the community would be attacked by this same man. What a good woman to be thinking of others in that situation. After Bila was booked, law enforcement took a sample of his DNA as permitted by law, and it, of course, matched the DNA of the unidentified suspect. After three weeks of testimony, it took the Washoe County jury six hours to reach a verdict. James Bela was found guilty of count one, sexual assault, count two, kidnapping in the first degree, count three, sexual assault, and count four, murder in the first degree of Brianna Dennison. James Bela was given the death penalty as permitted by Nevada law. Bela's defense attorney filed two appeals, yet both were denied by April 2022. He remains on death row in Ely, Nevada, as of this recording. The last individual to be put to death in the state of Nevada was Daryl Mack back in 2006. As of today, there are 77 people on death row in Nevada. So we would like to close with a prayer that is posted on bringbrejustice.com which we are going to you know, tell you about during the Rocky Mountain Redemption. This prayer touched our hearts and we'd like to share it with you. It's for Brianna. Dearest Mother, Father God, we know and acknowledge you as Source. We hold ourselves as one with you in unity which flows through us and all creation. In our faith of this holy union, we step up to our declaration that Brianna is whole, healed, and complete. We connect with that which is divine in all of us and jointly extend our compassion to Brianna and all those who love her and who she loves. We assert that there is nothing in creation that can succeed in assaulting the divine, and that our faith lives in the invisible realm of spirit, bringing forth physical manifestation all around us. In this faith, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we ask in his name. For those of us otherwise connected, we call upon our love of God to sustain us all in a unity of light and compassion. We deliver her into your divine hands. For there is nowhere else with greater healing and compassion. Having delivered her to your care, we release our prayer and intention to your vast heart and align ourselves with divine highest good. Knowing that it is now done, we enter into gratitude, giving thanks for all now being well. Amen. Amen. You know, this case has like really made me rethink the security of my home. I... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something we all need to be aware of and be just extra cautious, locking our doors, being aware. Yeah, being aware. That's a really great look of it. I like, I never close my, my blinds ever, Mel. I always close my blinds. I, like I said earlier really? episode, yeah, like I'm totally creeped out by people being able to see inside my house. So yes, always close my blinds. I can, you start doing that. Yeah, every night, Becky, just part of your routine. Yep. Like we mentioned earlier in the episode, we do get like a false sense of security behind a door. If someone wants to get in, like a lot of times they can get in quite easily. Yeah. So Mel, are you a fight or flight person? That's a good question. I don't know if I've ever been in a situation where that would be tested. So I'm not sure. Yeah. What about you? I'd be interested to know. But yeah, I know I'm a fight. Like I'm like I jump, but then I always hit if someone surprises me. (laughs) But I remember my um, my husband and I were watching Walking Dead and my daughter was like three at the time, snuck in and she thought it'd be funny to scare me. And so she like, and it was like gruesome, gruesome scene. Mm-hmm. It's like when they were following the tracks, if you know the show at all. Anyway, and my daughter pops up and she like goes, ah, and like I almost knocked her out. Like I, like at like the last one minute, end. I like threw my fist. Yeah, I could have, like, knocked my daughter out cold, oh, for sure. My gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a fighter. Yeah. So, and with that, let's go straight into our Rocky Mountain redemption. So, Bridget Dennison, Brianna's mom, wanted to make a change in her community, so she lobbied for a change in the law. After years of work, Bridget was able to make a change in the state of Nevada law. In 2013, Republican Governor Brian Sandoval, signed Senate State Bill two forty three into law. Brianna's law required DNA samples from people arrested on felony charges. Okay, so arrested, not just prosecuted and charged, but when they are arrested. Very, very cool. Yeah. Supporters of the law claim it may have saved Dennison's life if it had been enacted earlier, because Bila did have a previous previous felony arrest. That's right. They would have caught him when he first attacked the girl. Yeah, so it um, could have saved her life. So hopefully it saved someone's life in mm-hmm. the future. Good job, Nevada. That's awesome. I hope that that can grow. For sure. Mm -hmm. To other states, right? Yes, for sure. Bridget Dennison is amazing. She's really taken like such a tragic situation and worked to make a change to better her community. Yeah. And through her uh, Bring Bree Justice Foundation, they like help women in um, difficult situations. They provide like training. They do a lot to benefit women in particular in the state of Nevada. So very, very cool. And that is your Rocky Mountain Redemption. So thank you so much to everyone for listening today. We wanted to remind you to follow us on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook. Just search our name or on Instagram at Rocky Mountain Red Handed. Yeah, you'll look at this week's post. You'll see beautiful pictures of Brianna. Mm -hmm. You'll also see the fishbowl that she was staying in. Yeah. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. We will be back next week. So until then, keep your hands clean.